Take your Bible, turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Past few years, everything I read and everything I listen to kind of talks about two things. It's leadership and vision, leadership and vision, and leadership and vision. And man, you just kind of get get full of leadership stuff and vision stuff. And they, they go together, really. Leadership and vision are inseparable. Leadership is about taking people somewhere and vision brings clarity to the where. You understand what I'm saying? Vision, it gives clarity to where you're going. And vision is necessary because vision is about revelation. It's about hearing from God. It's looking to the future, knowing what you have to accomplish, having a plan in place, and then working like crazy to get her done. Amen. That's just what vision is. Vision is not only necessary, but vision is essential. It's important that you look ahead and know where you're going. Because like John Maxwell said, he who does not look ahead stays behind. But I'm convinced that you have to balance that because you can become so focused on vision and so focused on future that you're really just a dreamer and you lose all sense of reality. And you're no good for the present. And so today we're beginning a new focus on Sunday mornings in a sermon series called Rewind. And today I want us to reflect on where we've been. Where we've been as Christ followers, where we've been as a church. And I want you to write this down. It's in your notes, you can fill in the blanks. He who does not reflect on the past can't appreciate what he sees when he looks to the future. When Heather and I first were married and getting started in ministry, I remember we, we had a talk and we... We said, and we kind of wrote this down in stone, that we would never forget who we are. We'd never forget where we came from. And uh, we came from humble beginnings. We came from the country. We came from the farm. We came from a small town, a small school. We came from Poe. You know what Poe is? Poor. Okay. We came from not having a lot of money. We came, we came from just meager, a meager place. And there are a lot of people in this world who have a vision just to make it, to strive to make it big, and they strive to be successful, and they strive to make a lot of money. And in the process, they forget where they came from. You see this a lot in athletes today. They, they forget where they came from, have millions of dollars, and they, uh, they forget where they came from. And One way you can live life and not forget where you came from is to constantly rehash and reminisce and go back and look at kind of how God has brought you along in life and, and where you are and knowing that you would not be where you are today and who you are today had it not been for the grace of God. And so as we, as we press in and we look to find who we are and reminisce about who we are, we don't want to forget looking to the future because the future is, is who we are and who we're becoming. But today I want, to, I want to just share, just from my own heart, some of the things God has said to me about this. I really planned this before I left for my sabbatical, and God spoke more to me about it uh, as I was gone. Because when we left here on Sunday, June 22nd, and boarded a ship for a week-long cruise, my goal was to reconnect with my wife, it was to reconnect with God, it was to, to rest, and to get a, a, uh, to be recharged and get a new vision for 
from God for our church and for our ministry and where we're going. But instead of coming back with a word of revelation, I came back with a word of reflection. And one of the discussions that Heather and I had, we were sitting on the top deck of, of the cruise ship and she asked me this question. She said, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? And you can ask yourself that question as I, as I talk. What are you passionate about? You remember asking me that question? Do you remember what I said? And it's kind of scary. I said, well, I don't think I'm passionate about anything. And uh, so I'm passionate about you and I'm passionate about our kids and I'm passionate about this cruise right now. But I don't really think I'm passionate about anything outside of that. I started thinking about that and I was like, man, she probably thinks I'm not I'm not I'm not much. I'm not passionate about anything. And I started thinking, well, what does God think about me? And I started to look at my passion and I was reminded of a passage of scripture in the book of Revelation when Jesus is speaking these words to the church at Laodicea. It's going to be on the screen. And he looks at them and he, he writes this as he's looking at this church. He said, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. He says, would that, that means I wish that, I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And Jesus wrote these words to a church addressing their love and their passion for Him. And He says, you... Once had a burning passion for me. You once, it seemed that you really, really loved me, but now it seems like your fire has gone out. Your attitude toward me is, is lukewarm. And he tells them why. He says, because in your own words, you're rich, you're wealthy, and you have need of nothing. And what we see about this church is that they never really lost their passion. They just became passionate about other things. Man, I, I really dealt with that. I struggled with that. I spent time thinking about it. And listen, we are a people of passion. Man, it's right here. Our passion is in here and it's burning. It's a, it's a, it's a desire. It's a hunger. It's a thirst. It's a craving on the inside. And I can tell you that we get real passionate about some things. And in, in the church and as the people of God, we get real passionate about, about community. Uh, people who are inside the church and people who are Outside the church, we get we get hungry to be connected to other people. I have people in my life, people in my family, they don't go to church, but they are deeply connected to other people because it's a hunger and a thirst that we have to be connected. We're passionate about community. We're also passionate about care. We want to be cared for. We want to be loved. We want people to to care for us. David said in, in, in the book of Psalms, he said, no one has cared for my soul. He was crying out to God because he was desperate. And passionate to be cared for. I think we're the same way. We're desperate for love and acceptance. I think we're also passionate about a cause. We want a cause. We want to matter. We, we want to make a difference. We want to have a purpose in this life. Because we want significance and value and identity. And we're desperate for those things. And so we passionately pursue the things that we feel like will fill us up in life. And, and start thinking about this passion. I look at these things, I say, you know, those things aren't necessarily bad things, but I ask the question, are they the right things? And at Clearpoint Church, we're passionate about some things. We're passionate about discipleship, and we're passionate about evangelism, and we're passionate about mission and serving, and we're passionate about 
loving God and loving people. That's what we say we are and that's what we say we do. And we're passionate about those things and those things are good. But that doesn't mean that they're the right things. See, passion for the right thing can be very powerful, but passion for the wrong things can be potentially dangerous. And they they point us in the wrong direction. And before you know it, we will have found that we have drifted away from the right things. So after my conversation with Heather, I began to pray and I said, God, if if preaching is what I am created to do, then give me a passion for that. And if equipping people is what I'm created to do, then give me a passion for that. And if I am created to to minister and and love people, then give me a passion for them. And then I started praying all these things and began to realize that maybe possibly my prayers were missing the mark. One morning I was asleep in this cabin, this very small cabin on a cruise ship. I woke up at five o'clock, just wide awake, and I just felt compelled to to read and and, and pray, and so couldn't go to another room, so I went over and sat on this little couch and and I just began to pray and say, God, just just speak to me. And I found myself on the floor, yeah, dirty floor of a cabin in a cruise ship. I found myself there. I said, God, just speak to me. I don't know if God always speaks like this or if He just speaks to me in short sentences because He knows that's all my brain can handle. But all I heard God say was, I am that I am. I am that I am. And immediately I knew what God was trying to say to me. Is that Brian, you're passionate about a lot of good things, but you really aren't passionate about the right thing. I want you to be passionate about preaching and equipping and discipleship and mission and service and loving God and loving people, quote unquote, because that's a statement, it's a phrase, but is it a reality? And that's what I was coming to terms with. Do I really love God and love people? But you understand that 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 phrase begins with loving God first and I had to ask myself, am I really loving God? Am I seeing God for who He is? Am I giving God what He's worth? So I was faced with that question. So I wrote that down and I turned to the book of Hebrews and I focused on the first two chapters and I read the book 11 or 12 times, I guess, over the past uh, few weeks. And here's a little bit of a background on the book of Hebrews. Then I'm going to give you something you can sink your teeth into, okay? The book of Hebrews is about reflecting and refocusing on the right thing, the one thing that matters, and that is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The author of the book is really unknown. A lot of people believe that Paul wrote the book. Some believe uh, Apollos wrote the book. Some believe that Luke wrote the book. But really, it's an unknown guy that wrote the book. But what we do know is that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words. And he wrote these words to a community of Hebrews who were facing intense persecution. And in the face of persecution, you are, you are forced to make a, div, uh, to make a decision who you're going to serve. And in the face of persecution, they had be- begun to uh, put Jesus in a different place. They had passion. They had passion about worship. But they weren't necessarily worshiping the right thing. And what you'll find is that they had begun to to elevate angels to the same place that Jesus had been placed in by the Father as the one and only. They begin to 
elevate angels and the worship of angels into that position. They were kind of following the model of, of another Hebrew community uh, known as Qumran. You ever heard of Qumran? It's where in 1947 they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And what these people did is they pulled themselves out of society and they built a commune and they established their own flavor of Judaism and they began to even believe that Michael the archangel was was higher and more holy than the coming Messiah, Jesus. So a lot of these Hebrews were believing that. Many of them had been saved. This was a church that is being written to here. But the theology was missing the point. They weren't passionate about the right things. And so the writer wants to remind them why you do what you do, why you are who you are, and remind them of their future. But this is where he begins. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. They knew the prophets, Old Testament prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And the name that He inherited is not just Jesus. The name He inherited was Son. He's the Son of God. And being the Son of God, that puts Him in a position to be higher and more holy than the angels or any other thing that was ever created. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I've begotten you. Or again, I will be to, to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he said, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And so in this first chapter of Hebrews, there's really no command for the church. There's no command for the Hebrew people. There's just this declaration and celebration of who Jesus Christ is. That's all it is. It's a declaration and a celebration of who Jesus Christ is. He's the Son of God. He's the Creator of all things. He's the Savior of the world. And He is Lord Jesus. He is Lord of our lives. He is the Master. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is the Redeemer. He's the Child of God. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He's the one who came to be the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for you and I. He's the one who gave it all and gives us grace and mercy and forgiveness. He's the one who mediates on our behalf before the Father. That's the message of Hebrews chapter 1. That He is Lord. Remember the transfiguration? Even the apostles had a little bit of, a little bit of, um, or a little bit of lack of clarity, if you will, on exactly who Jesus was. And God appeared to them and there was Jesus and there was Moses and there was Elijah, the Messiah and two prophets. Before it was over, the two prophets had, had, had disappeared and it was Jesus and it was God that said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I want you to worship him. 
They fell on their face and they worshipped Him there. And so the writer of Hebrews is just showing us that there is this Jesus who is worthy of our worship. And He's the only one worthy of our worship. He's the Son of God. But He said that long ago, He spoke to us by His prophets, but now He speaks He has spoken to us by His Son. In other words, God the Son took on human flesh, human form as God's final, decisive, authoritative Word of God. And not final in that God has not spoken since then, but final in that since Jesus came, everything that God has to say is rooted in Jesus Christ. And it points toward Jesus and it is proven by conformity to Jesus. You understand? So the disciples that we're trying to make cannot be disciples of Clearpoint Church or Brian Lambert or Adam Matlack or a small group or a staff member. They have to be disciples of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only. Jesus is the Lord. He's the He's the Master. He's the head of the church. And if we're not worshiping Him and He is, we're not making His presence known and glorifying Him and lifting Him up and we're, we're missing it in our worship. And so the word of reflection is this, is just that Christ is everything. He's everything. Christ is everything. If I was to ask you, what is your everything? I don't want to preach Ryan Meyer's sermon. I was a little disappointed when he preached on idols. Had to change my message a little bit. But he did a great job, right? Or maybe I do need to re-preach it. What is your everything? I got a little convicted when he said football, family, yeah, food. All right, turn that one off. Let's listen to what Greg had to say, okay? But those hit home, don't they? Hey, I love food. I gained, I gained some weight on my trip. If I hadn't hiked through the woods every day for the first two weeks, I probably would have gained a lot more. I love food. It's almost football season. I love football. And I love my family. But you know what? I don't want to worship those things. I don't want to say that those things are everything. Those things fill a part of my life. I don't want them to be my everything. I want Christ to be my everything. And I want Him to be everything for our church. And so the Bible shows us that He's he's everything. He's all the fullness of God. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are wrapped up in the being, the the person, the, the deity of Christ. All spiritual blessing is wrapped up in Jesus. Everything we will ever be or ever have are wrapped up in Jesus. Beyond what the Old Testament told us, whatever we need to know about God and how He relates to our lives, we learn from what we hear and see in God's final authoritative Word, which is Jesus Christ. Because Christ is everything. He is superior to everything. He is more valuable than anything. He's our everything. And so our lives should exalt Jesus. Chapter 1 is a declaration and celebration of that in As we rewind, I want to take us back so that we can make sure that we're grounded and that Jesus Christ is the foundation on which we're building our lives and building our church and building our families. But we move to chapter 2. It's where you get this word of action. Chapter 1 is a word of reflection, but chapter 2 is a word of action. And the action is this. Listen to Him. Christ is everything. He's the authoritative final word of God. Listen to Him. Listen to what He has to say. 
So in chapter one, he gives all these things about Jesus and how Jesus is higher and holier and more superior than anything else to, in, in regard to anything else that's ever been created. And then he says, therefore, therefore, so therefore is the reason. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. Therefore, listen to what he has to say. Therefore, perk up your ears. Therefore, sit up and listen to what I'm saying, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So that's what he says in the first few verses of chapter two is listen to him. Here's the question. What are you listening to? What are you listening to? I love music. Always have loved music. Since I was a little kid, I love music. I thought I was going to grow up and be a musician. I thought I was going to go to Nashville and hit it big and buy my grandmother a Ferrari. That was, that was my goal in life. Okay. Uh, never learned how to play the guitar. I can sing a little bit, but I, I never, I never really pursued that. But on our vacation, we made it to Nashville and we, we did this tour through the Country Music Hall of Fame. And man, I was taken back because there were days in my life, I'd be in the tractor, I'd be cutting and baling hay, I'd be feeding the cows. And man, the radio was going and I was listening to my country music. All right? I was a country boy listening to my country music. And as they say, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. And when I was in Tennessee, I found myself reverting back to my hickish ways because they're down in here. Okay, I have to be really intentional about making my speech clear and speaking and making it sound like I have a little bit of an education. Doesn't always work that way. All right. So, man, I found myself just looking back. I found myself at some point just with tears in my eyes because I would look back and it would bring up memories of of um, me being at home and being on the farm and working. And then my grandfather was a musician. He was a he had a bluegrass band and they were awesome. And I, I would just take myself back and just remember those times of listening to that music. And that music became part of my life. But when God called me to the ministry, I quit listening to country music. And this is why. It's because what we listen to influences what we think. And potentially molds who we are. And listening to that music, it really took me to a place that I didn't need to go. I mean, there's not a lot holy about country music. I don't listen to country music anymore. At least not the new stuff. Sometimes I'll pull up a Merle Haggard or a George Strait. Not too much Jason Aldean, although I like the way he dresses. That's about it. The other day I was looking on Facebook and my cousin, he and his wife, he had posted this on Facebook. They were outside, they were cooking some steaks on the grill. And their little boy, he's about three years old. And uh, I'm just trying to look around here. He came out and he said, where the heck are you, mama? But he didn't say heck, okay? So uh, they both looked at each other and they turned and looked at the kid. They said, what'd you say? And then he says, where the heck are you, mama? But he didn't say heck. And they said, where did you learn that? Well, he's a Lambert. Hello. And, uh, but he said, he said, transformers. 
They let him watch Transformers, which they regret now. But, you know, you listen to it. You More is caught than taught. And he caught that word from Transformers and it just became part of his vocabulary. He didn't know there was anything wrong with it. So often we're drifting through life and so many messages are coming into our head and they are molding who we are. They're molding how we think. They're molding how we speak and they mold how we live and we don't even realize they're doing it. And it becomes a part of our life. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we listening to the Word of God? Are we listening? Hey, you can read it. I have read, I have read the Bible and I have read for hours and I stop and think, what did I just read? I mean, not, not that I didn't understand it. It's just that I was reading it and I wasn't even paying attention. I was just, I was just blowing through it and wasn't even allowing it to sink in and take root and wasn't giving it a chance. So the question is, are you listening to the Word of God? And, and here's a reason that this is so important. It's because the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is life-changing. But did you know D.L. Moody said this? And this is what I want you to hear. Out of a hundred men, one will read the Bible and the other 99 will read the Christian. The great quote. Out of a hundred men, one will read the Bible, 99 will read the Christian. And that means if you claim to be a Christian, instead of reading the Bible, someone's reading you. They're looking at you. They're looking at how you talk and how you behave and how you're living your life. They're looking at your way of life. So here's the question. Does my way of life say the same thing as the Word of God? Does my way of life say the same thing as the Word of God? Listening to the Word of God will determine your way of life. In other words, we conform to what we listen to. But as the writer of Hebrews warned, don't neglect it, lest we drift away. And that word drift is, is a really cool word. It really means to, it really just means to kind of float on by. There's a word picture attached to it in the Greek. And it's a, the picture of a ship. It's a picture of a ship that's coming into harbor. And because they're somehow, their vision is impaired, they, whether there's fog or whether they're not paying attention, they don't see the lighthouse. They don't see where they're supposed to come in on point. And they drift. And they, they miss their destination. I just want you to think about your life right now. Think about how you're living your life and ask yourself, am I listening to the Word of God? Or am I neglecting it? He says, how can we neglect so great a salvation? Heather and I were on the cruise ship. We decided one evening, we, you turn the TV on, there was a channel that actually was it was the camera that was at the front of the ship and you could see the heliport where the helicopters could come in and land and it was the very the very front part of the ship and so Heather and I decided we were going to walk up there and and so we got up there we took a wrong turn and I found myself standing here and right below me was a big huge wide glass window and the the crew of the ship the people who were actually not serving the food and cleaning the rooms, but the people who were 
driving the ship. I mean, they were, they were, they were commanding every move, every turn. They were, they were right there. I really didn't see a whole big wheel there. Maybe it was there. But what I did see is I saw a lot of technology. It was GPS, it was radar, and they're watching this stuff and they're, they're, they're paying attention and they're, they're dead on to make sure that our ship was going in the right direction. Hey, for two days straight coming home, I sat on that heliport. I, I looked around. There was no land. Nowhere. How could you even know what direction you're going? I mean, it's crazy. But the GPS and the radar, the technology they had on the ship is what helped them get us back to where we needed to go. And they paid very close attention to it. Had they neglected it and we diverted just a little bit, we could have ended up hundreds of miles away from home. And I just want you to understand how great of a salvation we have and how great of a travesty it is that we don't pay attention and implement it into our lives and we aren't focused on it. To allow God's direction book, God's radar, God's GPS to lead us exactly where He wants us to go. God, why did this happen to me? God, why is my life in shambles? Why is my marriage falling apart? Why are my kids rebelling? God, why am I in such debt? God, why, why, why? Why do I feel insignificant? Why am I so hurt? Why am I so broken? Why am I so depressed? You don't need to change your medication. You need to get in God's Word. God will change your life. God will give you direction. God will put you on point. God will bring you safely home. And for Clearpoint Church, I know this. We can do a lot of great things. But when we really get down to it, I think in a lot of those great things, we're going to find ourselves drifting and missing the point and becoming passionate about a lot of good things, but not passionate about the right thing. This is not a message of chastisement. This is a message of challenge for us just to rewind a little bit, to go back and reflect and get a vision for who Jesus Christ is so that we can serve Him and so that we'll be found faithful when He comes. Let's pray.